I'm really excited to be here. I, I really do, uh, like I love your pastor. He, he is one of my go-to guys when I'm struggling with things, and uh, I trust him. And I am like amazingly excited about your building project. Like that is very, very, very cool. And, and I, you know, I, I, this isn't my, my church and all that stuff, but like I encourage you guys to write big, big checks if that's what you're doing, right? Because like... Uh, and, and, but, but don't just do that. When, when you come back in five, six, seven, eight, nine months, uh, sometime in the next year, when you come back to this place, come back celebrating and, and then sign up to volunteer and make this place the kind of place that when people drive by, they wonder what's going on. Like, and uh, I, I encourage you to do that because uh, like my sense here is this is a wonderful church and you guys are uh, privileged to be here. Uh, my wife Bonnie is, is right there. You want to just stand up and wave? I know you don't, but you don't have to even. <laughs> I, I just asked if you wanted to, and I knew you, you wouldn't want to, but okay. Uh, I, I met her in tenth, ninth grade. I watched her walk down the hall a little bit and thought, wow, she's beautiful. Okay. Uh, it has nothing to do with my message. Let me just pray, and then I'm going to launch. We're, we're going to start in Gospel of John, chapter 5, and if you have a Bible with you, the Gospel of John is the fourth book in the New Testament. It's one of the biographies of Jesus. And so we're going to start, and I want to go through two stories. And this first one is one of those ones. Let me, let me tell you a quick story before I pray. Uh, I was, uh, Art mentioned I had a minor heart attack a couple weeks ago, and uh, it, was, it was very mild, right? But the Thursday before that, uh, or Tuesday before that, I was, I was walking in our church, and uh, some of the ladies were there for Bible study, and they asked if they could pray for me because they knew I was going in for a stress test. And uh, so they were praying for me, and one of these ladies prayed, prayed this prayer, God, we know that you heal everyone that encounters you. And I'm on my knees, and, and I'm, I'm like, and I'm thinking, no, no, that's not true. God, you, we know that you healed everyone that encountered you, so please heal Pastor Paul. And I didn't want to argue with the prayer because like, I wanted the healing and, and I wanted all that. And I'm thinking, okay, if there's something wrong, because I didn't know yet if there's something wrong. So if there's something wrong, God, go ahead, heal me. Poof, poof me so that everything's okay. Right? And I wish Jesus would do that to all of us. Right? They would just go, and make everybody okay. But my understanding of life and my understanding of the scriptures is he doesn't. Like some of us have ongoing issues. But we have ongoing things with sin. We have ongoing things with health. We have ongoing things with our marriages that are broken and messed up and wrecked. And wouldn't it be cool if just everybody who came into the presence of Christ, just he made it all okay. But he doesn't. And for those of us who sit in the midst of God doing really wonderful, amazing, poof kind of projects in other people's lives, like that can be painful. And so I want to just open up this story for a moment. It's in Gospel of John, chapter 5, and I'm going to just touch on this, and then I'm going to switch over to the Gospel of Luke and, and do another story. I want to talk about how to deal with hope when it's just an echo, when it's not really there working in your life, and when, when, you, when you have this desire, but like for whatever reason, Jesus doesn't do it. And you wish he would, and you pray that he would, and you go home at night, and you say, God, I wish my marriage was like so-and-so's. Father, I pray that you'd fill this house with your presence. God, that you just pour your presence in here, not just to poof us. 
but to give us the strength that even when it's not going well to walk with you and to trust you. God, I pray for this hillside. I pray that you would shine light in the middle of the darkness. That this church would be filled to the fullness of your glory. And the people who are hurting, people who are broken, people who are doing wonderful would be drawn here to experience you. Not just the building, Father. But to your church, these people. God, fill us. I pray that you'd speak today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So it says in the Gospel of John chapter 5, verse 1, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been there for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been there in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? I love that question. Like, do you want to get well? No, no district. Duh. I'm laying here waiting in this spot where, according to tradition, the, the water would every once in a while stir. It, 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 I, I don't know. It doesn't explain what it would do. It would bubble, or, or some of your translations actually have verse 4 in there. This, in the NIV, it doesn't have verse 4. Verse 4 was taken out because it was believed that just someone added in to explain what happened. Verse, verse 4 says an angel would come down and stir the water. And, and I don't know really what happened, but what would happen according to the scriptures is that the water would stir and the first one in wins and got healed. Right? It was like this, this, this disabled race of, of people and, and trying to get into the water because the first one on what, I don't know if it happened one time or a hundred times or, or 12 times or seven and a half times. I don't know how many times, but somewhere along the line, people who got into bubbling water were healed. And, and this guy's standing there, and there's no one to help him. He's so crippled that he can't get into the water by himself. And Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured and picked up his mat and walked, and I love that. I actually believe God does that today. That, 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 that Jesus will somehow poof people and make them well like that, but I, I, I hope we didn't miss this part. Back up, look, go back to verse two, if you would, because I think the, maybe the most, one of the most significant things for me this morning is in verse two and three. It says, now there is in the Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Let me just touch on that for a second. The, you know, for, for years, people didn't believe that pool actually existed. And that's one of the reasons I love the Bible, because you, you can actually trust it. In, in, since the 19th century, late 19th century, since Israel was settled, they, they uncovered that pool, right? Bible people would say, ah, oh, John just made that story up. There's no pool, no five colonnades. We've never found it. And, 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 and they dug it up. They dug it up, and they say, ha, ha, Bible's right. Right? And, and so they, they go on, and, but he says, and which is surrounded by these five covered colonnades, here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind and the lame and the paralyzed. 
if, if I read that right, it means Jesus, Jesus walked through a crowd of people who were blind and lame and paralyzed. People who were hurting, people whose lives were messed up, people who were physically wrecked. And he walked through them, and, and, and I don't want to be disrespectful, but like, like stepping, excuse me, excuse me. And he picked this one guy. And he looks at that one guy and says, do you want to get well? And I'm just thinking in my head, how about all of these other people? I, said, I do, I do, I do. And Jesus says to this one guy, pick up your mat and walk. And then he walks out from that crowd. And he doesn't stop and say, hey, you guys, I, I'm just allotted one, one healing today. And, and he got it, I'm sorry. He doesn't say, you know, bless. He just, he just walks out. And I'm thinking, how, matter of fact, how many of you, how about the guy right next to the guy that Jesus healed? Like, what, what about him where he's sitting there watching and he wants to get excited for what's going on? He wants to say, oh my goodness, God healed my, 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 my guy next to me. No, he didn't heal me. He, he didn't even say anything to me. How many of you feel like that guy next to the guy that was healed sometimes? Right, anybody? Like, like you go home and you've heard these stories of people whose marriages are all put back together. And you go home and your wife's just as, just as unput together as she was when you left. Right? And, you're, and your kids, you hear about people whose kids were wandering and now they're falling at the feet of Jesus, singing songs and praising his name. And your kids, your kids are still wandering. Still doing things you've been praying their whole life they wouldn't do. You, you hear about, I'll, I'll do a pastor thing. You hear, hear about pastors who, who like get promoted, whatever that means, into a better ministry that you wished you would have had. Or you'd think that, that your personal finances would have turned on or turned around by now. And, and it could go on and on and on. And, and so many times I feel like many of us wonder, God, where are you? I was visiting with one of our junior high kids the other day, and she tears streaming down her face, and she said, you know, I'm not a Christian yet. I've been sitting in this class. We have confirmation class. And she said, I've been sitting here for two years, and I'm not a Christian. I want to be, but I'm not because God never talks to me. I get that. You hear about all of these wonderful things and you wonder, how do I do this? How do I exist where it doesn't seem like God's touching me the way I've expected him to or the way I've prayed for him to or the way I've begged him to? Turn, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. R right at the end, the Gospel of Luke is the, the book right before the Gospel of John. We're going to look at chapter 24, and I want to start at verse 13. And this is a story about a, a, two people who were on their way out of Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I, I want you to hear that. They, they were on their way out of Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and you're going to hear that they were downcast, they were broken, they're discussing back and forth all of the hopes they had put in Jesus that were failed now, because it was also after the crucifixion of Christ. 
verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that happened. As they talked and discussed these things, as they bantered back and forth, Jesus came up and walked along with them. How cool would that have been? Like you're walking along with your buddies, you're talking about, well, you're talking, you're talking about how disappointed you are with Jesus. And he shows up. But, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. I, I love that phrase there because that's so honest. Because probably a day or two days before that, they would have said, he's the Messiah. He's the one who's come to fix everything. He's the one who's come to, to change us. He's the one to come make everything better. Now, he's just a prophet. He's still good, still powerful, but he's not the one we had hoped he was. Do you ever feel like that? Like in your head, because Jesus doesn't match what you wish he would have done, he, he is demoted? You have this expectation, this desire, this hope, this dream? And then maybe a very honest, real thing that is a, a real need. And Jesus, for whatever reason, doesn't measure up. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one who redeemed Israel. We had hoped he was the one. I love going into our Sunday school department and the, all these little kids, you ask them almost any question, right? Like, who loves you? Jesus! Right? Who, who's the one that's going to have Jesus? Right? And you get a, everything's Jesus! And it's so encouraging, exciting, and fun. But a lot of us know. Or we think we know. That that's just a little kid answer. Let me just take a couple of moments and kind of open this up. I'm not going to read the rest of the passage. We'll kind of read it as we go. But, but I want to ask the question, what do we do when we had hoped for something that doesn't come around? How do we hang on? How, how do we address that? How, how, do, how, do we, how do we not lose hope when, when hope is just something that's echoing in our mind and heart anymore and it's not alive and it's not real and it's not powerful? When, when it's just a memory, the hope that we had. Here, here's one of the things I notice in, in this passage, and you notice it too, is that, that Jesus was there. Right? Jesus was there. Here, here's how I want to say it. Trust in the promise of Jesus' presence. When you feel like you're losing hope, when Jesus hasn't lived into your expectation, trust in the promise of Jesus' presence. I get it. I get it. I, I get it. He's not like visible to you necessarily. 
But you can still trust that he's there even if you don't recognize him, even if you don't see him. If the Bible's true, which I believe it is with all my heart, Jesus says to all of us who have him as our Savior that he is present with us all the time forever, whether you feel him, whether you see him, whether you smell him, whether you hear him or not. He is still there. I will never leave you or forsake you, it says in Hebrews chapter 13. And and I, I I get it, that sometimes we don't feel like he's there. Sometimes we feel like he's abandoned us, partially because maybe we've put this expectation on how he is supposed to perform for us. And he, he doesn't necessarily do that. Pastor Paul, God heals everybody who he encounters. Nuh-uh. Jesus. Yes, but maybe not in the way that you were forcing him into. I think it's amazing that it says they were kept from recognizing him. I've been wondering about that. By whom? Like, why would, what, what would, how, how would someone be walking right with Jesus and not notice him? Recently, I was in one of those worship services in our church where, where people were talking. It was like one of those moments where all of a sudden you, you just, you sense the power of God coming into the room and, and you could feel him, right? It doesn't happen all the time, but, and I don't know how to explain that other than I could sense his presence. And, and there's some of us on the worship team and, and we were in the green room, we were talking about that. And, and, and one of the other persons, well, I didn't notice that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? He was like so thick and... Some people, me more often than I want to admit, are in the very presence of Jesus Christ. And we don't notice. Okay, here's what I want to say. That's okay. That's okay. It's not about our feelings, whether we feel like he's there or not. It's not about whether he gives us this exciting flutter in our heart or not. It's that he promises to be there. And sometimes we're kept from recognizing him because we want him to perform in a certain way for us and he's doing it a different way over here because he gets to do that being God and all. right? And, and, and we, we, we've said that you've got to do it this way because this is the thing I want you to do. Sometimes, honestly, we're kept from recognizing Jesus because of sin. Like we, we harbor these things in our heart and mind, and we have these little secret things that are going on on the side of our life, and we wonder, why don't I experience the presence of Christ? And we've got like a drain hole in our heart. And we're wondering, well, why doesn't God fill me? And because you're leaking. And maybe there's issues. Maybe there's things that you, that, that the start of your refabrication of your life, the, the renovation of your life, the church, would be to fill the hole with forgiveness and grace and mercy. Maybe for some of us, it's really about disbelief. We've chosen that for whatever reason, we're not going to believe certain things about Jesus. That's really what these guys were, or this guy and this lady. We don't know who they were necessarily, but maybe that's what's going on here because it says that they had heard about the resurrection from the women and they still left Jerusalem. (laughs) 
they had heard that Jesus rose from the dead. And they still left. Because maybe, like some of us, they just wanted to wallow in their stuff. They, they just really liked being wounded and really liked being sick and really liked being discouraged and really because it gave them something to talk about. But here's the deal. Jesus was walking with them. And, and I, I'm not sure what you're going through in this moment, in this day. But he promises that if you put your life in his hands, he's there. He's there. Let me, let me show another thing. This is, this is in verse, I think it's 25. It says, and he said to them, how foolish you are. Oh, let me start at verse 24, because that one's kind of fun too. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. See, the women had told them. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Sometimes when, when we had hoped is only an echo in your life, the, the best thing to do is let Jesus speak hope through the scriptures. Right? The, the instinctive thing for us when darkness veils us is to just close the book and stop walking with it. And what Jesus promised, what God promises, is that the Holy Spirit will bring this alive and, and, and bring it to fruition. And, and how amazing for those people to have Jesus actually teach them. And it says in the Scripture that their hearts were warmed. And he started with Moses and he began to explain that, you know, when, when our people were in Israel and they were slaves, I came and set them free. When our people were at the edge of the Red Sea, I came and parted the waters. When the people were thirsty, I, I brought forth water. And he began to make the scriptures come alive. And here's what happens with some of us is, is we close the book and we say, you know, I'm so discouraged, so lost, I've lost so much hope that I just can't read anymore. And that's what I beg you. Don't close the book when your hope is wavering. Let Jesus speak. And, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, and, and maybe some of you can help each other. Like, how many of you read passages of Scripture and it's like, nothing? Does that happen to you? Yeah. Right? And you're hoping, again, you're hoping that God would warm your heart? Just do, do that again. How many of you have experienced where you read the Bible and nothing goes on in your heart? Okay, some of you are like amazing because you don't experience that. Okay, so let me tell you what it's like right now in my yard. My, my yard's in North Dakota, right? We had snow two days ago still. It's not funny. Wow, just because you're California. How? Art, what's that all about? <laughs> no, we, we, no, I'm not kidding. It's May. I don't know who did the calendar this year, but we're having snow, right? I have this beautiful garden in my backyard, kind of. Uh, it'll be beautiful sometime in August. And, but, but I have a perennial garden, and there, it, there's nothing showing right now. And it's there, and right under the soil, it's alive. And, and eventually, as it warms up in July or whatever, the, the, the plants are going to start poking out of the ground, and pretty soon they're going to 
and they're going to bloom, and I'm going to get these gorgeous flowers, but they're already there. I just don't see them, and that's what the Word of God is like. It's like planting seeds in your heart, and you may be dry. You may be waiting for God to bring forth water from the rock. Don't stop. Let him plant those seeds because he promises that the word of God that goes in will not return void, that he'll bring it to fruition. It is living and active and able to do things that in his timing. So here's what I beg you. Let God warm your heart with his scriptures even if it feels cold. Because eventually he will make this come alive. And, and what we can do is we can look at, we can look at the passages of scripture and say, oh God, well for them you did it. Thank you for doing it for them. And help me hang on through it. Let me just show you something. That, I don't know if you've read Psalm 13 lately. This is like an amazing passage of Scripture because it speaks of what so often many of us feel. This is the Psalm of King David, this amazing worshiper and lover of God. He starts out, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemies triumph over me? Look on me and answer. Oh, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love, my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. I think the juxtaposition of it, the way he said that, I will sing, because you have been good to me. It doesn't feel like it's all real good right now, but you have been, and you're not obligated to be good just to me, but you are, and you will be again, and so I'm going to sing. It's a discipline of our hearts to let Scripture speak to us, to remember that even though we don't feel Him, He's present with us, even though we're just trusting something we remember. Let me, let me do one more piece. Back out of the Gospel of Luke. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if He were going farther. But they urged Him strongly, stay with us. For it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So when he went to stay with them and began to give to them. Wait, I'm sorry. So he went to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it, began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened. It's... When we feel like hope's gone, it, it's trusting in the promise of his presence, not necessarily the feeling of his presence. It's letting him continue to, to breathe life into us through the scripture or to plant the seeds of life coming. And then it's to anticipate, to anticipate his redefinition of things in our life. That, that God has this power to take seasons of brokenness and woundedness and loss and hurt and, and sin. And when they're in his hands, to redefine them and to transform them into something beautiful. And so in the moments of, God, I wish you were changing this in my life, 
anticipate that someday he will. Right? Live in the expectation that this isn't going to last forever. And I'll be honest with you, some of us, it will end the moment you get to heaven. But don't discount that. Right? But that God has this power to redefine things. I was talking to one of the young men in our church who's been a follower of Christ for about six months. And, and, and he said in this group, this, our, our men's group at Burger King on Thursday mornings at six, which is a ridiculous thing. And, and we're eating sausage, uh, not Egg McMuffins, whatever they, we're, we're eating those. And, and we were talking, he goes, you know what? I wouldn't trade anything in my past. I, he said, I would do it all over again. And I looked at him, I said, are you serious? He goes, yes, because God's using everything. I said, okay, time out, just a second. You've done some really ugly things. He goes, I know I wouldn't change it a bit. I, I said, okay. It's because I thought he had taken this God transforming things too far. Right, because he, he was saying, like, I would do it all over again, and you know what? God's not, like, all excited about your sin. Right, it's not like he says, oh, go out and sin so I can change things. Don't misunderstand that. He, he can take the ugly things and the broken things and the wicked things in our past and the hurtful things, and he can transform, but he's not looking for us to wallow in them, and he doesn't want to highlight them. He wants to be highlighted himself, but that's what he does. That's what he does. He takes these things that are ordinary and makes them extraordinary. He takes these things and broken and makes them beautiful. He takes these things that, that are, are wrecked and makes them wonderful. And that's what we can anticipate in these moments of our own darkness, our own disappointment, our own sadness, our own loss of hope, that God will someday use this time, this season, this moment. And he'll transform its meaning in your life so that he can be given glory. He does that with bread. You know, he broke bread with these guys and, and can, can I? So every time you touch bread, I mean, this is what the, the plan of Scripture, this is what Jesus taught, that every time we would touch bread, we would say, Jesus died for me. God took the most ugly, horrendous form of death on the face of the earth, and he made it into something beautiful. Do you think he can do that with our lives? And he uses this ordinary thing, this ordinary thing to remind us of his death and the wonders of his resurrection. So that every time you put bread to your mouth, you are reminded that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sacrificed so that you could be set free. So that forever, in God's people's lives, bread is changed. And so forever, in God's people's lives, our struggles are changed. Forever in, in God's people's lives, our, our brokenness is changed. So what I would say to you, so what I encourage you, anticipate that someday, someday this dark time will be redefined by the king. So hang on. He promises to be there. He hasn't left. Your, kid, your kids may be wandering. He hasn't left. Your finances may not be changing immediately. God hasn't left. He still promises to provide. We can remember that in his word. And someday, he'll redefine it. And you'll look back, and you'll say, oh God, thank you. Thank you. He loves you so much.
He hasn't left. You maybe don't recognize him. He's still there. 